Hi everyone, it's Allie Duff and I'm your host for the Feeling Good Sometimes podcast, a podcast where I will interview and connect with people who inspire me the most. Hi everyone, it's Allie and welcome to episode one of Feeling Good Sometimes, the podcast. So for the first episode, I always envisioned doing this as a solo episode. I really wanted to take this time to not only introduce myself, tell you why I started the podcast, but also dive deeper into my background, my story, and where I am today. Um, So before I get started, just this is episode one. So there may be some like stuttering or I don't know, the sound might sound a little weird. We're literally getting the kinks out here. And um, I'm probably going to say um a lot. And I just, yeah, it is what it is at this point. We will just roll with it and keep going going. So before I dive deeper, I do want to put a little trigger warning out there for everyone who is listening through this episode, especially I will die be diving deeper into topics such as eating disorders, depression, suicidal ideation, self-harm, alcohol, Um, yeah, I think those are the big ones. Um, and moving forward, if there are any tough topics for any of the episodes, there will always be a disclaimer slash trigger warning so that you kind of have a heads up. And if something comes up through any episode, please know that you are welcome to stop and not come back. I mean, hopefully you come back in the future, but I mean, like, if it's not the right time for you to hear it, please just know that that's completely okay, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, um, here we go. Welcome to the Feeling Good Sometimes podcast. I'm honestly so, so excited and also very nervous. I'm so nervous to record this, and it's just really weird because I can hear myself talking, and it's such a weird concept. Like, I just... Do you ever just like sit there and listen to yourself talk for an hour? It's going to be a challenge, but um, here we go. And also, I work by myself, for myself, so I don't really talk a lot throughout the day to people, and I just went on this like little, I want to say like vacation almost for like three days. Well, it was really like two and a half days, and I obviously was by myself and I wasn't really talking to anyone. So my throat, I feel like is going to be completely raw after this. Um, But I'm very, very excited. And okay, we're just going to get into it. So I really just wanted to introduce myself and tell you why I decided to start this podcast. Um, So obviously, I'm Allie. I am the host of this podcast. And while this is going to be me mostly interviewing people, it will um, be a lot about people's stories. um, And I will just be here to guide you throughout the conversation. But for this first episode, it's 
all about me. <laughs> so I decided to start this podcast honestly years ago. I really, really wanted to start a podcast and I always thought, well, this would be something really cool I could do down the road when maybe I have a stronger following or when I feel more confident in myself or like when my business gets bigger. All these kind of like ideas slash roadblocks that I had created in my mind were what was going to allow me to start this podcast. And honestly, it was just straight up imposter syndrome. And I mean, like, there's so many podcasts out there now, and so many people are doing it. And it's so amazing. I honestly love listening to podcasts every time in, in the car, when I'm working, when I'm packing orders, just like, when I go for a walk, I absolutely love hearing about other people's stories and how they got started, their struggles. Like, I just love when people get interviewed and you just learn something about someone who you maybe follow, they're a celebrity, or it also like helps you learn something new about yourself too, I find. So I really wanted to start this podcast probably in like 2019 and I just was like, no, I can't do it right now. Like, I'm just not cool enough. <laughs> but honestly, I just have been dreaming about it. I just think it's like the coolest thing and I just really, really want to interview people. I absolutely love um like documentaries and everything like that because I just love to like get a little like foot in the door in someone's life. I just, the coolest thing about connecting with other humans is that we recognize that we're actually very alike. We're all very alike, even though from the outside, it doesn't look like we're all kind of going through similar struggles and similar um, journeys. But we really like take like an outside view of everyone and I think social media has a lot to do with this and then we kind of just like create this I want to say this like persona of what this person is like and then that's what we portray in our mind and so when we get a little like deeper into someone's life and we actually hear from them we truly learn what someone is actually going through and who they are outside of that persona we've created maybe through like social media or through the news or media or anything like that I mean I feel like that has a lot to do with like Actually, you know what? That has to do with anyone that you follow on social media because a lot of social media is <clears throat> not real, right? It's it's very filtered. It shows like the highlight reel. Um, and I would say like over the past five to six years, it's gotten better showing more of like the realness in life, people getting vulnerable. But it's still not 100% real. So in a nutshell, that's why I really wanted to start a podcast. I also just really love having deep conversations with people. I'm one of those people who struggles so hard to have surface level conversations. Like it's exhausting for me. Like I find it so, so hard to talk about things like... I just don't know, like the weather or like everyday things or little pieces about drama or anything like that. I just like, 
I want to get to the nitty gritty. I want to find out like how you're feeling, what you've been through, what are your hardships, what does vulnerability mean to you? Like what I want to I want to know everything because I think it just really opens this portal to have such a beautiful conversation with someone else and ultimately it leaves you feeling like I don't know how to explain it, but it almost leaves me feeling like I'm like I'm myself. I it's so hard to explain like to put to words the feeling, but it just I feel more at home when I have like deep, honest, vulnerable conversations. Like I almost like want to cry. I get like chills and it just, that's what inspires me. Like I just love having those deep conversations. So that's truly what the podcast is all about. And ultimately, this was not the name I chose. I really, really wanted it to be the Wave of Change podcast, but that was taken. So I had to come back to the drawing board. And if you know me personally, like you know me, Ellie Duff, you follow me, you're friends with me whatsoever, then you know that my life is my business, Pure Balance, which I will dive into later on. And ultimately, this podcast is supported by Pure Balance. Um, but a big like part of the of the business is creating products that help you feel good, like feel good about yourself, feel good about the environment, feel good about your body, feel good about what you're putting on your skin. Um, so I, I really loved like the whole like feeling good and kind of went towards like feeling good daily. But honestly, I don't feel good daily. <laughs> like most of the time it's like weeks before I feel really amazing. So feeling good sometimes just really, really resonated with me. It sounds fun. It sounds like me. And also it creates this like conversation around like, it's okay to not feel good every day. And that's kind of like my version of being like, it's okay to not be okay. If you also know me, then you know that I'm really strong about mental health and mental illnesses and share my story a lot. That's my reason for starting my business. Um, so this just creates more space around the conversation around mental health and really helping to pull away some of that stigma and reduce the silence around mental illnesses, especially. So that's the name. And we got into why I started the podcast. And we're just going to dive into all about me. Um, so I really love like whenever I'm talking about someone or someone is sharing their story, I like to dive deeper into like who they were as a kid. So you'll probably hear me talk a to a lot of guests about this. Like, who were you? Who was your younger version? Like, what did you learn when you were growing up that has like installed into the way that you live life now? Um, so me as a child, like I can describe myself in probably three words. Shy. I want to say like, I was a little bit free and joyful, but I also feel like I was just really scared and timid and just like I didn't know fully how to be myself. Um, I, I always was told that I was a shy child growing up and I, I also wonder if like as you're growing up, if you're told that you're a certain way, like it helps almost mold you into that person. 
even if you like want to challenge it and step outside of it. So from the earliest that I can remember until I was probably in my early to mid 20s, I was always the shy person like and I know I had social anxiety. I didn't necessarily know I had it as a kid when I was a kid, but now looking back, 100% had social anxiety. I still do to a degree. Um, but I just was always that kid that had a really, really hard time talking up, like asking for help. Um, I think like I had my comfort zones and comfort people, like when I was home and playing, like I just remember like running around the house and jumping on the trampoline and all those things. But being out with a group of people and at school especially was really challenging. Um, I don't really know if I should share this story because it's to me it's so embarrassing. But I think it talks a lot about how shy and scared of a human I was when I was younger. I want to say I was probably... Um, six or seven or even younger. I was in school, but maybe still like a kindergarten. And there was something going on, like it was a school meeting or I don't even remember honestly what the situation was, but I was so afraid to ask to go to the bathroom. So I literally pooped my pants. And this is like a five or six year old. And like, I can't even imagine the, like the feeling I had, like, oh, it makes me hurt for like the younger Allie to have to experience that and go through that. And I'm sure all the kids that were sitting around me could hear it. I mean, not hear it, could smell it in the I don't even remember exact. I feel like I've blocked it out of my mind. I'm sure my parents remember, but like, oh, I can, it just takes me back. And I can just think about being that young girl, just like afraid, like afraid to ask to go to the bathroom. That's how shy I was and how just, I didn't really like to bring attention to myself. I think especially in situations like that where there was a lot of people I was just honestly so so afraid to ask for help and I feel like this is something I need to like deeper explore in therapy <laughs> um honestly now that I'm speaking about this out loud but that's who I was like as a young child I I mean I have a younger sister so I loved playing with her I very much loved getting my parents' attention. I was always told that when my sister was younger, so we're two and a half years apart, I had a hard time like with my mom having all the attention on the baby. So I really just wanted to like play and do something. I wasn't someone who could just like play by myself. I needed like stimulation. Um, Whereas my sister, on the other hand, could just like entertain herself for hours and I just would get bored. Um, but my mom would like be like, okay, well, we have to wait till she goes down for her nap and then we can like play or do something. And I would just like, she would put her down and then I would get, I don't know what I would do, make a bunch of noise and it would wake her up and then I would lose that opportunity to like spend time with my mom. But anyway, that's... <laughs> I guess shy, like afraid, a little bit of freedom, but also like afraid to be myself and not really know who I am. And then also 
can't really play it by myself or anything like that. So I don't know. That's me as a child. And as I like unfold more of my story, you'll learn more that I have like figured out of what that young child like grew into basically. Um, Yeah. And then I started swimming at an age of nine. So I always played sports. Um, I think I probably did like soccer and things like that, but it wasn't until swimming and I picked up competitive swimming. I mean, I always did swimming license. We, I mean, I was a baby swimming. Like my parents, like we just learned how to swim. And we also like, so I was born and raised in New Zealand and it's a little different than here in Canada in, I guess, public school you learn how to swim at school. So they have pools at the school. I don't know if it's still like this, but honestly, I wish it was like this everywhere. Um, so I I actually hated to put my face in the water when I was younger, but then once my friends were doing it and everyone else in my class was doing it, I did it. And then I guess I just kept doing swimming lessons and then maybe my parents decided to put me in competitive swimming and I was a competitive swimmer for 12 years. So from 9 to 21, it really, really shaped my life. It shaped my identity. Um, I went from just being a kid to being, I'm Allie the swimmer. Like, that's what I am. That's what I do. Um, as I started to get older, it was like we're swimming every day. School comes second. Swimming comes first. We're going away every weekend for swim meets. We, um, we devote our life to swimming because I would say like I picked up the interest and was good at it and good enough to keep going. So making like the national meets and et cetera, et cetera. And um, then deciding like, okay, I want to go away to school. I want to get a swimming scholarship. And then it was just like full on like, everything we do is to reach those goals. And my parents were obviously very supportive. Swimming is an expensive sport. Like you are literally traveling every weekend and staying in hotels every weekend. So they devoted a lot of their time and money towards making sure that I had everything I needed and could go to like every swim meet and... Yeah, like they just poured all their money into swimming, which sometimes I look back and I'm like, Ugh, I wish I wouldn't have swam, but it really did evolve me as a person. And I don't know what I would have done instead, honestly. But it was also really hard because when you're in such a demanding sport, you don't really have time for anything else. So you're swimming every day after school, you're swimming on the weekends, you're away most of the weekend for swim meets. You don't really have that social time to do anything on a Saturday night because you have swimming Sunday morning. Um, You can't do anything after school because you have swimming and then you have homework. Um, I mean, that's what it's like for a lot of sports, but... I mean, from, I would say it started to pick up at age like 11 and then all the way through until I went to university. Um, That's what it was like, like public school and especially high school. Like, I feel like I missed swimming after school once or twice in four years. Um, 
and weekends barely did anything so my social life was just swimming like it was the people who were in the club it was people who were out to swim meets it wasn't really anything else um and then yeah so I just obviously like molded into the swimmer but as I started to get older I never really learned much about about myself other than like the physical aspect. So obviously if you're 100% focused on a sport, you're doing everything you can to be the best version of yourself in that sport. So we're looking at swimming that comes with what you eat, um, how much you sleep, um, what you're doing outside of the pool. So are we doing anything like any other fitness or anything like that? And I think I was in grade, I want to say 11 when I got a personal trainer. Um, and I would go see her like a couple of times and then I would have to work out at home. Um, and my dad would basically coach me at home. Um, he also was basically like my second coach for swimming, just became very invested it was our relationship like this swimmer to coach kind of relationship even though he wasn't actually like my legit coach he was very 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 involved um and I found that I mean obviously very supportive so really really amazing in that way but also really hard to have a relationship outside of swimming um and very controlling and yeah, I mean, as I share parts about my journey, especially with growing up, I will mention things like that happened with my parents, but honestly, they're the greatest humans alive, and it's hard for me to bring things up like this because we've evolved as, like, human beings since that time, like, 27 years ago, um, no, not 27 years ago, 17 years ago. Um, so we've able to like talk through things and move through things. Um, so I kind of like hate that, but I also want to recognize it's part of my journey and um, they did everything that they thought was best for me at the time. Um, so there's like no hard feelings on my parents because they're like, honestly, the best. I know I'm so grateful. So with swimming and being the person that I am, I really evolved into like swimming became my identity. Everyone at school knew me as a swimmer. I always ate healthy. I um, always like had swim practice after school. It was just like really like, it's just who I was. And it was really just like out of the character for me to do anything else. Um, and I also throughout this period, without really knowing it, really struggled with my mental health. Like definitely had so much anxiety. I think that yeah, the young anxiety, like the social anxiety was absolutely there. I really was not like the best at school. Like I had to work really hard at school and I didn't love it. Um, 
I just had a hard time, I think, in general. And I do think I was really depressed as well. Like, not in like a deep depression, like a functioning depression. And I just put everything into swimming. And when I was doing well in swimming, I felt good about myself. And when I wasn't doing well, I put so much pressure on myself through that sport. So much pressure to hit certain times, to get certain standards, to try and be like someone else. It's it's a sport that is full of comparison. You're always trying to not only beat yourself from the, the day before, the meet before, but you're trying to be better than the person next to you. You're fully comparing yourself to other people. And through that, it just really molded this like awful imposter syndrome. And I know like a lot of us struggle with imposter syndrome. Um, and it's a really hard thing to break or even pull apart and kind of rewire your brain through. Um, but for me, it was, I mean, it still is really hard, but it really molded me into someone who needs to better myself and how that has translated into my business is also very interesting which I will get into as well um but just that comparison piece the pressure if I didn't hit a certain time I just felt like my life was over like swimming was that was all that my life was and if it wasn't going well like I was no one. I was nothing without it and nothing without doing well in it. Like, I was just a mess. Like, would completely break down, cry it at night and just be like, what? Like, I just, I'm nothing without it. And I just don't think my parents recognized it. And they also just thought that, like, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to swim. I wanted to get a scholarship. I wanted to go to the U.S. on a really, to a really high end, like div one school. So they were just like continuing to go down this path with me and they weren't going to be like, well, maybe you should stop swimming. And I think if they ever said something like that, I'd be like, no, I can't stop. Like I never stop swimming. Like it's my life. Like it was just like, that's my goal in life and nothing else mattered honestly so obviously like you're in your teens and dealing with all this I also had no idea how to like label emotions regulate emotions feel my feelings I think I um and I still was really shy so I wouldn't even know how to talk to anybody if I was feeling like something was off or I was feeling depressed or sad I just like would hold it all in like completely silence myself um never what did I say anything I definitely grew up knowing that um or hearing like crying is weakness don't cry unless you have actually something to cry about um and very much in a sport where um you don't have time to take breaks um like swimming every day was what I was told I needed. I had to swim every day. Like my body just didn't react with a break, which to me is hilarious now because I like need breaks. And it's so crazy how like conditioned I was and how I still feel it with my business. Like it's so hard for me to take a break and to step away for a minute or be off my phone for a minute. But it's just that that feeling of um it was 
like my body my body does not work on breaks it just doesn't react to breaks and if I stop swimming or take a day off then actually I swim worse so it's crazy now that I'm saying that how relatable that is to my life currently anyway was swimming it was just it was my life and like that's all I can say about it I there's so much pressure around it it is such a mental sport it's you against the clock it's you against yourself it's you against the person next to you it's not a team sport in any aspect I mean maybe once you get to university it's somewhat team-like but not to a degree like a team sport there's no one relying on you there's no one to like help you it's literally you in the water it's that's what it is um so there's no one to like blame if something goes wrong it's on you you have to work harder you have to fix this you have to get faster and better and stronger and everything to be a better swimmer be a better athlete so then I obviously went to university. I didn't go to a Division One school in the U.S. on a swimming scholarship. I didn't go to my top choice school because my SAT scores were terrible. I didn't study for them. I'm a person that has to study really freaking hard to get anything of a decent grade. Um, so where I ended up obviously was where I was meant to be. Also, when I was growing up, I was not um, like a social person. I didn't really drink. I wasn't really allowed to. I didn't really hang out with boys. I didn't have time for that. It was all swimming, swimming, swimming. So when I went away to university, it was like the first chance of freedom I got. Like when I was at home and through high school, my parents controlled what I ate. I wasn't really allowed to eat junk food or sweets or because I was always like swimming and I always had to be in the best shape possible. And I think there was also like a focus on my weight. It was noticeable like if I'd gained weight or like if I compared myself to other like swimmers and it was also verbalized to me through my parents um, and it just kind of was like that was the atmosphere of the sport then um i mean you're in a swimsuit all the time like everyone's looking at everyone's body it's just like very displayed so you see everything and you see everything about everyone um it just like that's the sport it's kind of like gymnastics you see it all except like yeah so i do feel like with me the early stages of my eating disorder did start when I was a teen because a lot of like the full the food rules and aspects around that started then um and it started to like really shape into a full-blown eating disorder which really began uh when I was in university and when I stopped swimming like that was where that really took off into that full-blown eating disorder, which I will share more about in a minute. Um, so university was a really, really interesting experience to me. Obviously, I went to the U.S. I was in Kentucky, so that's like a 17-hour drive from my home um, in Bath, Ontario, Canada. Um, so I wasn't close to my parents, which... I mean, I did find hard at times, but 
we moved from New Zealand to Canada when I was 11 and all of my family lives in New Zealand. So for me, it wasn't really like that crazy to go to school far away. Um, I think because I was kind of like conditioned to move far away from family. Um, and I feel like once I got to university and especially where I went to for university, um, or in the U.S. as they call it, college. It was a party school. The atmosphere was party, party, party. Um, the swim team had a culture of like play, like swim hard, play harder. Um, the weekends were full of parties. Um, it was like that was the atmosphere and I wasn't used to that. But this was the first time I felt like a lot of freedom and the freedom came around like what I was allowed to eat, what I was allowed to do um, and drinking. I had really not really drank much before then. I think I like I got drunk at prom and that's the story in itself. Um, and then maybe I like had drank like once or twice before that, but like a couple of sips here and there, nothing to like get me like wasted. Um, and I, yeah, just like had this freedom and it was like, I was immersed into this culture, which was so new to me, but also like so fun and, and exciting. And I just wanted to like fit in and be like everyone else. And I also still so anxious, shy, but give me some liquid courage and I'm a whole new person. So that is kind of like once I discovered drinking and what that did to me and what happened when I got drunk, it was a new person, I feel like. I just kind of like let loose and did whatever. Um, I had no filter when I was drinking, um, which is why I no longer drink. Um, so I can explain more about that as well. But um, yeah, I was one of those people that would drink to get drunk. Like the thought of just like casually having a drink for like socializing to me never really happened. Um, maybe for like a year or two when I was older, um, before I stopped drinking, but honestly, no. Like, the thought of spending, like, $15 on a cocktail then just didn't make sense when I could get, like, a fifth of vodka for $7 in Kentucky because it was insane and disgusting um, and drink half of it and get drunk. Like, to me, that was fun and what it was all about. Um, and... Yeah, or just spend the weekends getting super drunk. Most of the time, it would be like to the point where I was throwing up. And I kind of like had trained my body that if I didn't throw up, I would make myself throw up because I knew I'd feel better the next day, um, which I kind of learned later on could like be part of the eating disorder slash there's something... I don't love this term called bingerexia. Um, and... It was binge drinking and then obviously you're purging the next, that evening. And then I always knew like the next day I wasn't going to really eat anything because I'd be so hungover and so unwell. My stomach would feel flat. Like I would just look and feel different, even though I'm sure I didn't really look that different. It was just like my stomach was flat because I'd been throwing up all night, which naturally happens. Um, 
And I, yeah, it was like that for three years. And I was just known as like the person that would get really drunk. Like they came up of a name called Let's Get Doofed, um, which was just meant like, we are going to get drunk on the weekend, but it was like named after me because I would get so drunk. I also like lost my virginity in my first year there. I hadn't really had a relationship before I went away to school, so I hadn't explored any of that because swimming. I was so into swimming, so there was no time for anything else. Um, and so then I just kind of let loose in that area as well, had no respect for my body None. I also really hated my body. I gained weight my first year, so I definitely gained what they call the freshman 15, which also I hate that term. Um, but I gained that and more. And this is when real problems started to happen. I really hope it's not like this anymore, but I, I'm going to say it is because it wouldn't surprise me. Um, so when I went to school... I mean, you're going from, like, one degree to the next level for sport, like, swimming, like, 30-plus hours a week, doing CrossFit, doing, like, weights, doing all these things, which I'd never done. So, ultimately, I gained a lot of muscle. Um, I also gained a lot of weight because I had full control over what I could eat and just kind of, like would let loose and eat all these foods I never would. Like I could eat snacks whenever I wanted, um, like could eat whatever I wanted at the cafeteria, all these sorts of things. And then I hate this because I really hope this is not continuing to happen, but I'm sure it is. So we would have to get weighed in. I don't know if it was weekly or bi-weekly or I don't know what it was. Um, but our athletic trainer, athletic trainer, yeah. And everyone would see your weight. So we would be like, it would be right before we were going to do like CrossFit or weights or something like that. And we'd all have to line up, take off our shoes. Obviously, we're wearing like shorts and t shirt or whatever we're working out in. Um, and you would line up and they would have a clipboard and write down your weight. Um, and everyone in the line would see it. Um, there was no way of getting away from that. And my, well, I can't speak. Immediately, if you had gained weight, there was a comment. So either from like the athletic trainer, the coaches, and I was gaining weight. Like I hadn't, I didn't really know my weight before this. Um, I didn't really weigh myself a lot. I think I did through the personal trainer, um, but not to a degree like this where so many people were seeing it and so many more comments were made and it's like everyone knows if you've gained weight and then there's all this like oh my gosh she's gained weight or she gained this much weight and like it's just like chitter chatter and just terrible environment so then the coaches kind of like picked up on that and it was like okay so like you're drinking too much or what are you eating or why is this happening and just meeting after meeting and then I had to go see a nutritionist and it was like okay we got to work hard to make you lose weight and like put you on a food plan I'm 17 18 at this point I mean obviously like this is what happens when you're in a sport but I do think things could have been handled a little differently to be honest um but like the whole weighing yourself 
or getting weight in front of people and then having comments made right there is just like red flag automatic red flag and pushes you into like obviously not everyone developed an eating disorder but there are people who do develop eating disorders for a lot of reasons and we could do a whole podcast episode on eating disorders um which we definitely will do when we have the right guests for that um but seeing that and it just happened throughout four years like just constantly on you for your weight gaining weight um if you lose weight obviously it's a really really good thing and you never get down to a point where it's too low um not in my experience I don't think it happened and when I was going into my senior year um also feel like I was going through so many like depressing episodes throughout this and once there was a lot that happened like when I lost my virginity there's so much drama around the person who was with and just like a lot happened within a year and then I just started to sleep with anyone and everyone I mean not everyone but just like to that degree and just treated myself really shitty to be honest and I I definitely felt the effects of that. I wasn't like in a relationship. The person who I was sleeping with didn't want to be in a relationship. It just kind of happened at parties and when we were drunk and if he was drunk and if he wasn't drunk, then he wouldn't sleep with me and I wanted that. So it was very much like very getting used. And if you know, when you lose your virginity, you kind of have this like attachment to the person. But to me, like for me, it was he didn't want that and it was really really tough um so anyway that's off the topic we're talking about the weighing and so coming into my senior year it was like okay we have one last year I really wanted to make NCAAs I was going to do whatever it took because that was my goal going to a different school was to make NCAAs like once you make NCAAs like that's the golden ticket basically um and you only have four years to do it. So I hadn't made it any of the years. I would get so upset at the end of the year and just like, what is going on? I'm wasting my time. Like, I was just so upset. So going into my last year, it was like, okay, we're going to do whatever it takes. Stop drinking, lose more weight. Um, yeah. And so the summer leading up to it, it was kind of like a normal summer. And then the end of summer actually ended up getting quite sick. I had, um, what did I have? Uh, a throat infection, like a bacterial infection in my throat. And this stemmed like quite a few problems. Um, and I do want to say like throughout this swimming journey, like when I was at university, you learn very hard and you know very quickly and easily that weakness is associated with um, taking time off. None of that was allowed. Like you work through illness, you work through injuries, you just keep going and going. You get ice, you get Motrin, they pump you with Motrin. Like Tylenol was better because they had extra strength Tylenol. So I think it was... Um, is two tablets of extra strength so what is that like 800 mil whatever is in uh is it milligrams or milliliters milligrams 800 whatever and it would be like we would take four or five packets a day just to get through the pain of injuries um i hurt my shoulder pretty badly and 
had to go on medication for that, but halted that process because you weren't allowed to drink when you were on the medication. And I obviously wanted to drink on the weekends. So I got in trouble for that. And I just didn't really care. Um, <laughs> and then, I mean, you do do like some sort of therapy, but swimming is not like basketball. We don't get that much attention. So it's just like do these exercises or I sit and then you're good to go. We'll see you at the pool later. And yeah, so like developing this kind of like weak, like weakness is silence. No, I'm saying that wrong. Like weakness is speaking up for yourself. Weakness is crying. Weakness is being vulnerable. The topic around mental health then and mental illnesses is like crazy, weak, um, like a terrible thing. Like that was like the period of time where having a mental illness was considered crazy. Like going to an institution was like a crazy, like you were a crazy person. So that was kind of installed in my brain. Also, I had an exercise science background, so I did a little bit of like uh, nutrition and anything like that. Learned maybe one slide about eating disorders. It was like anorexia and uh, bulimia. Like you either are extremely thin, you're on like a feeding tube, or you're like overweight and throwing up. So nothing to do with eating, what eating disorders actually are. So that's what I learned about that. Um, and... So my last year of school was really like, okay, we're going to do everything it takes. And I was willing to do everything it takes to get faster, be stronger, to hit these times so I could go to NCAAs. Um, so that looked like, okay, we have to lose weight. We have to stop drinking. So I didn't go out on the weekends um, because I wasn't allowed to drink and I wasn't going to go out and not drink. So I didn't do that. I had to do like a lot more cardio than anybody else so we would do like crossfit in the morning for an hour and then i would have to go run on the treadmill for 20 to 30 minutes so i could try and lose more weight um i think sundays which were out of days off i would have to go for like a run or at least a walk i just couldn't like take a day off to like rest which ugh, <laughs> annoys me um and yeah, it was just like, that's, this is the way it is. Like do what it takes to be the best version of yourself. And I was probably in the best shape I'd ever been in. And I also was getting really sick. So I had that bacteria infection in my throat, was put on a bunch of antibiotics. Um, a little bit later on, got bronchitis, went on more antibiotics. Um, and then again, got bronchitis again um, because we don't take time off through this time. Like I just remember coughing so much and just spitting in the gutter all the time because it was just like so much phlegm coming up. So gross, but like you just don't have time. Like you just, you can't take times off. It was just, you push yourself. You constantly push yourself. Um, and like you could be throwing up in the morning because if you have a stomach bug and it's still like, well, you're fine. Like you can come to practice that afternoon. And just, I remember walking through Krampus just like crying because I just felt so terrible, but still had to just suck it up and move on. Um, so then I got put on more antibiotics and then my stomach started to get really like messed up. And 
realized like I got a stomach infection from all these antibiotics, was put onto more antibiotics, was literally pooping out blood, continuing to swim, was feeling so terrible, but just like had to keep pushing through it. And like once that kind of got fixed, I did not get fixed. But through this time, I was also losing weight because I wasn't really eating that much because everything would go through me and I would feel really ill. So it was just like I was eating like rice and applesauce and like oatmeal and drinking Gatorade or I don't even know what it was. And it was like, oh my gosh, are you losing weight? Or like, you look so good. Like you've lost so much weight. And obviously like that's so encouraging and... I mean, I also had changed kind of like my lifestyle a little bit, but still was not well, mentally or physically, to be honest. And when it was coming up to like the end, so we have like a big conference meet that was coming up. We were on training trip. We usually went to training trip for like four weeks because the school I was at had like a big winter break. Um, The second to last day, I think. Yeah, I sprained or rolled my ankle I was doing a step up and then came down and my ankle went inward and just collapsed on it like also remember I was at the best shape I'd ever been in my entire life like I was set to do really well at conference make NCAAs and yeah so then yeah I hurt my ankle and I was just like oh no like this is not good at all we were in Florida so The basketball team was actually also in Florida at that time, so my coach drove me into Miami so we could go see the athletic trainer for um, the basketball team, because I think, did we have our own? Yeah, we did, but I don't think they could do anything. I don't remember. So I couldn't walk on or anything. They just, like, basically carry me there, and um, we learned... That was just a sprain. It was just like a sprain. And I was like, I never sprained my ankle before. I always had shoulder problems, so I didn't know any difference. I was like, okay. So we had to get crutches. They just like wrapped it up and I would ice it that night. And we had to drive like the 15 hours back the next day. But when I had to swim like two days later on it, I was like, whoa, this does not feel right. Like I just remember pushing up the wall and it was like, there was nothing there. Like my foot was just like limp and hanging almost. And like kicking just was felt so weird. And I was like, oh, this does not feel right. And they're like, oh, it's fine. Like you just have to like swim through it and get the kinks out, whatever. And I was like, okay, whatever. So did that, obviously couldn't do like that much more cardio anymore. And I was doing all this extra cardio at training trip. Like people would be taking time off and I would be going for a run or adding an extra run during some of the days. Um, Like I was in such good shape and it just kills me. And then I hurt my ankle. And so swimming after that leading up, it was just not good. I was not swimming well. And I just knew like deep down that this was not good but I just kept pushing through it because that's what I was told and we just pushed through it and I was doing like physio on it and everything like just doing what I was told icing it like everything was going to be fine I could walk on it um did the conference meet I swam like oh I can swear on this this is my podcast it's explicit we just swam fucking terrible it was so miserable it was crying all the time like I remember crying with my mom in the restaurant and like 
the server came and gave me ice cream because he felt so bad. And I was like, I mean, this is me at every swim meet, but it was just like heartbreaking. This was like my senior year. I was supposed to be like making NCAAs and doing so well. And it just didn't happen. And I was just having the worst time. I was absolutely miserable. Would cry myself to sleep. Like it was just so terrible. And then there was still swimming after that. So I just kept swimming through it and it just didn't really seem to get better. And I unfortunately at that time could not put my foot down and speak up for myself. So my dad had to do it for me and I went through him and it was just kind of like, if you don't take her to the doctor, she's done. And my dad was like, I will, I will call doctors up and pay for her to go to the doctor. So eventually we went to go see the, um, orthopedic surgeon about it after my dad like kicking and screaming and I had a severe sprain and a bunch of like bone bruises and when you have a really bad sprain it takes a while for it to heal like I think it took like two years before I could like not feel it in my ankle anymore um so that is ultimately how my swimming career ended and there was also some other things that happened with the swim team which I don't really feel like going into detail about because I don't have the time for this it in this episode and also it's not really part of my journey it did change some things for me and was really hard and probably a little traumatic but to be honest, it's not part of what I want to go into this episode. Um, so yeah, when I stopped swimming, it was just kind of like, I did not know what to do with myself. I had lost like the identity of being a swimmer. I thought like that was the end of it. Like I'm retiring, like there's just no way to continue. Um, and I, that's when things started to get really tough mentally. I, um, this was kind of like when my depression took over. I was so depressed. And when I stopped swimming and didn't hit these goals, I was in the library. I just remember being in the library studying, like just crying so much, like every single night or in my room crying. I was just constantly crying. I was so miserable. I felt like so unhappy. I just felt really off. And I was like, this is not right. Like, this is not okay. And I didn't really talk to anybody about it then. And I also started to like have these thoughts about cutting myself. Um, and like, it's kind of scary to think back on because that's where it all began. And um, I never took action on it then, but I did tell someone about it and then immediately had to go see a therapist. So on like the on-campus therapist and I don't really think they were the best to be honest. Um, but they were like, oh, you're grieving swimming. Like you're going through grief, which truly was correct. Like I was like, you've been in this relationship with the sport for so long. It's like who you were and now you don't know who you are. And this was also the end of the school year. So I was getting ready to like come home for the summer which I actually had never done. Like this was my first year coming home for the summer. I always stayed down there and swam throughout the summer. Um, so I also didn't really get to work because obviously I wasn't living in a different country, so I couldn't work. Um, so I never really 
that's a whole nother thing too. Um, but when it came to stopping swimming and coming home, I just remember that summer was tough. Like definitely depressed. Didn't like a lot of my friends from high school were either like in relationships, had moved on, weren't living at at home anymore. So I didn't really get to see any friends. I was pretty much just home all the time. Um, and it was like, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I had no idea. And I think the main goal there was to lose weight. And it was like, okay, I'm going home. I I know I'm going to eat healthier, so I know I'm going to lose some weight. And I, I did lose weight throughout the summer and did get that validation from people when I went back to school. And it was like, oh my gosh, you've lost so much weight. You look so good. And then that... I had one semester left of school before I graduated. I was done swimming then. Um, I gained a lot of weight. Um, and I think I just ate whatever. I um, I was drinking, but not a crazy amount like I used to. Um, I mean, I guess I probably got drunk here and there, but not like to the degree where it was like every weekend all the time because the atmosphere, the culture had changed. There was no swim team anymore. Um, so it was just like different. And I do believe like I was binge eating. I would eat a lot at night, like bags of chips and things like that. Um, I would just kind of like hide and eat by myself. Um, and so yeah, I gained a lot of weight. I also was like really depressed and really struggling with what I was going to do with my life next. Um, and from there, things just really started to escalate. I went away to Boston for six months to do an internship. That's when my eating disorder really started to flourish. I also felt really, really depressed there. I like had no friends. I didn't like know anybody. I just would work out like three to four times a day because I was working at two different gyms. So I'd work out at both of them and then I would go for runs or long walks or like that's all I knew what to do. So that's all I would do. Um, I also really, really hated my body. Like absolutely hated my body. Was disgusted in it. I mean, I was eating, but I don't think I was eating enough. Um, so I guess I was restricting, but not to the degree where it started to head towards. And then once I was there, I went back to Kentucky. Also was struggling, but had lost some weight then. Um, and wasn't doing that bad, but was definitely struggling. And then when I moved back home to Canada, when like my visas were done and everything, that's when things started to really, really spiral. Like the eating disorder started to just like take over control. And um, it was bad. <laughs> like that's, it's not funny, but it was just really, really tough. Like I was really depressed and... I started to really get stronger. Um, I started to pick up self-harming. So I would say pick it up like as a hobby. Like it just, it started to happen. Like the thoughts were there. I acted on them. I became addicted. I really was addicted for, I think like two years. Um, and it was like my drug um, along with like restricting my intake, seeing how long I could go without eating, working out a lot, working out like without eating all day. Like that was such a high for me. Um, I was doing some therapy here and there, but I was so malnourished and just like so not in tune that nothing probably clicked into my mind. Um, and then 
by my family doctor, I got referred into a part-time clinic, um, like outpatient, which had a wait list. I think it was like four months or I ended up getting earlier than how long it was supposed to take. I can't really fully remember, but I was in that program for like maybe a year and a half or a year and a bit. I don't remember. Had to go through um, some programs where it was like, um, what's the word? Like group therapy. It was all group therapy, which I'd never done before in the past. So I, um, yeah, kept looking into uh, like options. And at this point in time, I really didn't want to do anything when it came to recovery or treatment I was just doing it because like that's what I knew I was supposed to do but I was really like mad at the world really angry just really believed that um engaging in my eating disorder and also was very far into the illness that that was my life and that was my control even though you feel like you're in control you're absolutely not your eating disorder is completely controlling you completely controlling your life um but it feels like you're in control like because you can't control anything else so it's like you put everything into um the eating disorder um and that is where, yeah, things just started to spiral. My depression got so much worse. I, um, my anxiety got so much worse. I, um, was, was not sleeping at night. I just, yeah, it was just a really, really hard couple of years and also started to become really, really like, I guess suicidal. I mean, to to a degree, it was suicidal ideation, like, but I also had a plan. Like, I knew exactly what I was going to do, and I had set a date. Um, sometimes, like, when I was driving, I would be like, well, what would just happen if I would, like, drive into the middle of the street or drive into this, like, boulder? Or, like, would I just, like, drive in front of a train? Like, that kind of, like, thought path. And I mean, I still have that sometimes, like, and my life is so much better. It's just it's suicidal ideation. Like, I know I'm not going to act on it, but the thoughts do arise. Um, but back then it was like, I have a plan. I know what I'm going to do. And then I got, because the outpatient, like part-time clinic wasn't strict enough. It wasn't enough for me. I got referred and put on a wait list for an, like an intensive program. And there was none in my area. So I had to like go away for one and I had to wait 10 months to get in, which to me is so terrible. And unfortunately, because it was through OHIP, um, which in Canada is basically, it's like paid for by the government. Um, the wait times are so much longer compared to if you were going to like a private facility, which I could have gone to straight away, but it was $30,000 a month and like, my parents couldn't afford that and I couldn't afford that and I didn't have any insurance. I did have insurance, but it wouldn't cover that. Um, at this point through this, I was also working in retail, also very, not very happy, but, um, I was just like doing a job. Um, and I just like wanted to be in bed all day. I just like on my days off would just lie in bed and stare at the ceiling or I'd be working out all the time and just like 
like this is the point in my eating disorder where it's like I have almost blacked a lot of it out because it just felt so awful like you feel like you're constantly have the flu like walking moving any sort of motion is so painful you're just like fully depressed like I felt just heavy and I had this like dark cloud over me all the time I would just lay on the floor and cry and just like cry to my mom and be like I can't do this anymore it was just, it was the worst time of my life to date um it was so hard and then going to treatment was so hard it I mean I'm saying it's so hard all over and over again but it was it was insane I like the best way to describe it was feeling like you were just like completely naked and ripped open and thrown into a fire like so exposed like that's the pain it felt to like take all those coping mechanisms away that was the eating disorder and then just try to live life without it like you weren't allowed to engage in behaviors you had people watching you eat you had to eat so many meals a day like they sat there and watched you if you didn't finish you had to eat more food like it was just so painful so hard but also life-changing and it was my like I had mentally told myself like if you don't make it through this, then we're done. Like, we're ending life. Because life outside of this, like, I cannot continue to live the way that I was living. I wasn't living. I was just surviving. I was not thriving. I was just simply dragging through life. It was... I had no passion. I had no idea. I wanted to do something, but I just... I just couldn't make it like happen like there was no way I was too sick and also through this time like it was hard for people in my life to understand what I was going through I lost a lot of friends I didn't really keep in touch with friends my family found it really hard my parents didn't really understand they did the best they could but we didn't really know what eating disorders were like this there was no knowledge about them then like such a stigma such a gray zone and now it's still like there's more talk about them but they're still so complex and it's really hard for people to understand who don't have knowledge in them unfortunately and the best knowledge you get of them is being around someone who's gone through one or having someone in your family go through one or you yourself going through one unfortunately it's really sad so like I did that treatment for I was away for um like three months I think and then after that it was like I had to come home and go back to normal life and that transition was so hard like trying to figure out how do I live without this and what do I do with my life next and this is where pure balance came into the mix um I have always dreamed about having my own clothing brand I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever I had no research no like fashion design background I just was obsessed with clothes growing up I was obsessed with brands and labels and anything to do with that degree like I was the Lululemon girl growing up like had everything Lululemon because that was like cool to me and I wanted all those brand names I wanted all the top brands that like for my age group um but I had no knowledge about clothing or anything like that. I just really wanted to create something that not only offered like a product to 
consumers, but also my biggest thing when I wanted to create Pure Balance, the beginning of it was a community. Like ultimately, I originally thought I wanted to start a nonprofit and I would like do like group program, basically kind of like a an Alcoholic Anonymous, but for eating disorders. And it would be like you would go to these meetings while you were waiting to get into treatment because me waiting for 10 months was just ridiculous. And I'm lucky to be alive today. I'm lucky I was able to stand through and get through that wait time. But there's a lot of people who can't. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. There's Our system is so broken when it comes to mental health and mental illnesses. And there's just not enough knowledge. There's not enough knowledge, especially for eating disorders. And it's such an isolating illness. It is so isolating. No one understands. You get the comments like, just eat. Why can't you just eat something? Like people in Africa are starving. Like I ended up at the hospital for dehydration. Like I was just really, really bad. I couldn't walk. And the nurse was like, you know, there's children in Africa who don't get clean water and you can't even take a sip out of your water bottle. And I was like, get me the fuck out of here. I just looked at the nutritionist who basically escorted me back there and was like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't want to be there and I had to be there. And it was just... I'm so afraid to say this out loud, even though I know that when I went through treatment and all the group therapy that other people related to this, but I just feel like this is something that's going to get backlash. And I just like encourage you to take with this with a grain of salt because I, I mean, putting yourself out there like this could be, there could be backlash. But I, I wished I had like a different illness, like something like cancer and or something where people understood and there was a physical aspect to it. Eating disorders do have a physical aspect to it, but a lot of it is unseen except for losing weight. And that in our culture is celebrated. Like I got so many comments like, oh my gosh, you look so great or you're getting so skinny. And it was just like that kept me going like I kept the eating disorder thriving it was like yes we can lose more weight we can get down lower on that scale we can set that goal weight even lower you can take more laxatives like it was just like constant pushing forward to get like my biggest goal in life was to hit a certain weight it was above anything else like I had to go through therapy and I had to write down my goals and the top goal was to lose so much amount of weight to hit like this goal weight. But it's like you hit that goal weight and then the goal weight gets even lower and then it gets even lower and you just keep going down. Like the eating disorder's goal is to kill you. Like it's not for you to survive. Um, And like no one understood and just people just were like, just get over it, like snap out of it. Like you can be happy. Like, but if I had cancer, people would be over there like, setting up a GoFundMe, like helping me out, sending me gifts, like wishing me well. And it was like silence. Um, It just, it was such a tough time. It's such a touchy topic and people are still afraid to like speak of it and bring it up. And I'm still afraid to talk about it in front of people because I don't know how they're going to react. It's getting so vulnerable and... 
I'm totally off topic, but <laughs> Pure Balance began because I wanted to create something where people le- felt less alone. That was my ultimate goal. And it's still my goal to t- today, like almost four years later, that I want to create a community I mean, obviously it's online, but I want to create a sense of belonging. I want you to receive your clothing and receive your order or receive your email, whatever it is that you're getting from Pure Balance and feel connected to something or someone. I just want you to feel like you belong in this world because feeling alone, feeling lonely, feeling isolated, feeling like you don't deserve to live, feeling like you are unlovable, feeling like you can never be happy is everything I went through and everything that I have pushed myself extremely hard to fight through to continue to live and I do not want anyone else to experience that and if you are currently listening to this and you've made it this far like (laughs) number one I love you number two and you feel that way please 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 know that life will get better I promise you my answer was to end my life and something that has stuck with me and will continue to stick with me until the day I die um, is from one of my therapists I had who was amazing and honestly when I left treatment and came back home he had left the program I came back to and I was devastated he moved to like the U.S. or something and I was like what do I do now Anyway, I was talking to him about ending my life and just thinking like that was my option and like that would make all my pain go away. And like that just felt like the best option for me. And he said, how do you know that the pain's going to go away? How do you know what happens on the other side? Like what, how do you know that if you end your life, you're going to like, how do you know the pain's going to go away? And I was like, I don't know, but I just think that's what's going to happen. Like... And to me, like, I'll never forget that. It obviously related to me. It may not relate to everybody. But for me, that really stuck really true. And um, I think it got me through because I just kept thinking, it may end my pain, but what about everyone else? Like my parents, my sister, who, by the way, only recently told me like earlier this year that she every day was waiting to get a phone call that I had ended my life. Like she just like thought I was going to die at any given day. And hearing that and not knowing that, like back then it wouldn't have done anything to me. I wouldn't have changed. But hearing it now, like rips my heart open. It just... Not only has it created the deeper bond with us, but just like you don't realize the impact you're making on people's lives until you're completely out of it. And if you have a loved one going through something similar to that, and they do die by suicide, I'm not going to say commit suicide because I don't believe it's like an easy way out. They desperately are in a position where they think that it is better to be dead than alive. And that position to be in is so painful. It is like you're trying to make it through a day and you just, it's its so hard. And it's like I can easily place myself back there and know what that feels like. And to me, that's scary. That's a really, really scary place to be in. And 
It's why I'll never stop talking because if I can help one person. If this podcast does nothing but helps one person survive through their mental illness or their struggles or their like breakdown or anything they're going through, it doesn't have to be huge. Like you're having a shitty day. It is what it is. If this helps you through that day, then to me, this is worth it. Like, I don't care how many people listen to this. I mean, obviously I do because I'm pretty competitive, but I, I want this to be a space that you come to and you feel connected. This podcast is here to like, it's really here to help you feel less alone. Like these stories that are going to be shared, all these guests that are going to be on have are going to be vulnerable, raw conversations. They're going to dive into the nitty gritty of life and what they've been through and their challenges and where they are now and how they got through it and what they can share with you, the nuggets of their life, the bright spots, the darkness, everything in between. Like this is real life and this is what really connects us as humans. We wouldn't be on this life together if we weren't supposed to be connected. I truly believe that and I always tell myself, this life wouldn't have been created for millions of billions of people to live on it if we weren't supposed to connect, if we weren't supposed to feel like we were part of each other's lives or we were here to support each other and guide each other. And like, this is where this whole like collaboration over competition and etc. and cetera, like don't compete with anyone else be there for yourself, guide yourself through life, and find those people who can support you. Find those people. If you don't even know them, if you hear them online, you listen to them on a podcast, and you're like, this person made me get through my tough day. Keep that. Save that. It doesn't have to necessarily be the friend that you text every week or every day that is going to be the person that is helping you feel more like yourself. Like, there's so many connections to be had and I think sometimes we think it's just like the people that are surround ourselves and no one online or anything like that but there's so many humans out there that we will each find like our circle of people who can support us and we will find them at different periods of our life and if you get anything out of the feeling good sometimes podcast I want it to be that and I I'm just really excited, and if you listen to the first episode, I hope that you've taken something out of it, and I hope that you feel inspired. I hope that you feel like you are not alone in your journey, whatever it may be. I I think I wanted to dive more into peer balance and why I started peer balance, but I think I'll save that for an- another episode, honestly, like a business episode and what I've learned about Uh, running a business because it's almost been 80 minutes (laughs) and I can't feel my throat anymore it hurts so bad you can probably hear my voice kind of like fading and I have another interview in two days so I can't lose my voice um but I'm just so grateful for you being here I'm so grateful for you listening like you have no idea um This podcast is supported by Pure Balance, so throughout it, you will hear ads about Pure Balance, and because it's an extension of the brand, um, there will be discount codes, so make sure you listen through the whole episode so you can hear the discount codes, and 
honestly, like this is just a journey. I have no idea where it's going to take me. I have no idea where it's going to take us. Like I'm going to set high goals for people who I want to be on here. I'm going to manifest. Like I could just imagine doing like live shows down the line and just connecting with humans. Like ugh, I have so much that I want to do in life. Um, and this is one of them. So I'm really, really proud of myself for starting this and even recording this first episode. Um, and that's something I don't say a lot that I'm proud of myself. So just thank you for being here. I honestly am so appreciative. And if you love this episode, I would so, so appreciate if you could leave a review because what that does is help us get more views um, and we'll touch more people so that more people can listen and maybe it can touch them. If you think that my story or anything I can share or shared throughout this episode could touch someone that you know, please share this episode with them. Um, or if you learned anything and you want to connect further with me, you can find me on Instagram at Allie Jean Duff. So that's A-L-L-I-E-J-E-A-N Duff, D-U-F-F. I think that's correct. Oh my gosh, let me double check. Or you can find me at Pure Balance. So yeah, Allie Jean Duff is correct. <laughs> that's my personal Instagram. And then Pure Balance is at Pure Balance. So P-U-R-E. B-A-L-A-N-X-E-D. So we have to do a full-on episode about Pure Balance because people are always like, how do you even say it? And it's just Pure Balance, but the X is really special. And if you want to check Pure Balance out online, it's www.purebalanced.com. It'll be linked in the show notes. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for being here. I think this was a good lengthy episode and I hope you saved this for a car ride or a work day or anything like that. Um, and yeah, make sure you follow along. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify and everywhere else you can find podcasts. Thank you so much. <laughs>